We are going to be continuing in Luke chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. It's really interesting. Um, yesterday, it just... I re- Symbol. <laughs> uh, so it dawned on me yesterday, really last night, I, I spent some time walking around after everyone else was in bed and just spending some time in prayer, something I like to do. It's a, it's a quiet time in, in my day. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it just sort of dawned on me that I had a lot of truth written down, but I really didn't have an illustration for the message today. I was like, Lord, because uh, I just feel like he hadn't given, given me one. I was like, Lord, what, what, how, how, how will I paint a picture of where you want this to go? And, um, and, and God is so good to just just give us stuff. <laughs> um, and, and I just, I, I remembered something. And the crazy thing is, as, as Dwight was leading us in worship this morning, this is the image that kept popping up into my head. And it was the image that God gave me last night. And y'all are going to, you might laugh. You may think it's funny. I think God has a sense of humor. But it was, uh, it was Dorothy and the lion and Scarecrow and Tin Man running towards the Emerald City. Any Wizard of Oz fans in here, right? Um, you guys, you remember that scene where, where it's like they're coming out of the woods and all of a sudden in the distance they see this big, green, beautiful city? And I remember as a kid just being mesmerized by that scene uh, because it's just so beautiful. It's, it's so visually appealing. It's, and then there's this field of poppies, right? And they're beautiful and, uh, and it's just this surreal place. It's a, it's a masterpiece of cinematography. But as they are running towards the Emerald City in their excitement, if you remember, the Wicked Witch was not going to have it. Right? And, 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 and so she, she is peering over her crystal ball, her evil flying monkeys, her demon monkeys around her. You know, and those monkeys freaked me out as a kid, by the way. Um, I remember my, my little sister used to run out of the room when the monkeys would show up. And uh, I, would, I would just sit there and try to be strong and be like, hey, it's cool. I'll just sit here and tell you when the monkeys are gone. You know, I try to be, be a tough little man. But, uh, but they scared me too, if I had to be honest. Um, and, but I remember um, in that scene where she begins to cast an evil spell on the poppy field, you know, and, 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 and so what was going to happen was the poppies were going to, they were going to cause them to become sleepy. Of course, only, only Dorothy and the lion, because the other two were, well, not technically alive, but anyway, um, somehow they were walking inanimate creatures. We, we don't really understand uh, the magic of the movies, but uh, anyway, that was what was happening. And um, so as they're running in their excitement, all of a sudden Dorothy starts to slow down. And I remember actually the scene made me sad when I was a kid because Toto fell asleep and I thought he was dead. I was really concerned because, you know, I, I was, I'm a dog person. I, I, I didn't want the little dog to die. You know, just uh, the, the people, I, I don't know about them, but the dog, you know, really. No, I'm just kidding. I like the people too. But, but, but I, I remember thinking, oh, no, you know, Toto's dead. And, and, and it just it scared me. I was I was. But, no, he was just asleep. It was all good. But, but then Dorothy begins to fall asleep. You know, Toto's asleep. Then the lion, you know, he falls over. His leg's up in the air. And, um, 
And, and Scarecrow and Tin Man are trying to figure out, how do we, like, this is terrible. The, our, this entire journey, there's, our, there's the place that we've been trying to get to. And, and now we're losing our focus. We're falling asleep in the middle of a poppy field. I wonder what that was a metaphor for. I don't know. Um, I mean, if the movie was released in the 60s, I would probably say, be able to say more about it. But, um, but anyway, the, the, the idea, though, the idea of this sort of like this idea of motivation. I, I can see where I'm headed, and I'm pushing forward to it, right? And, and, the, and, and, and so what happened to Dorothy and, and the lion in that moment is they, their sense of motivation left them. All they could think about was sleeping, all of a sudden, they, became, they, they ceased to be motivated to get to where they were headed. When, and it was, it was almost close enough that they could touch it. You ever thought about how important motivation is to our lives? And, and, and really just having proper motivation, right? Because we, we, uh, most of us are motivated towards something. And, and in that moment, we could have said, well, Dorothy and the lion were motivated. They were just motivated to take a nap. And not to get to that beautiful emerald city in the distance. I think that motivation is, is incredibly important for our lives. In fact, a, a lack of motivation or an improperly placed motivation can cause our lives to become pretty ineffective. And I think it's also important for us to realize that, that evangelicals and really not just evangelicals, but the church in America today is not all unlike Dorothy and her friends. And here's, 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 here's what I mean by that. We've seen God's glory, haven't we, at various times. Like, I've seen God's glory in my life many times. I've told some of you the story about how God started speaking to me through dreams and visions when I was a teenager. I didn't know what to do with it because I was just this Baptist kid, you know, and I was like, what? <laughs> I, I really, I'd never, it's not that I was taught that those things didn't happen anymore, but I, I was never discipled into how to interpret those things. So when, when God started speaking to me in that way, I, I didn't know what to do with it at first. But I knew it was from him. I remember the first time that I had a prophetic urge, like, like, like the feeling that, that was inside of me that I knew I had a word that I had to speak. And I just remember what that felt like in the release when I spoke the word and it was, and, and I knew I obeyed the Lord. I remember, and you know, this was when I was, again, 16, 17, 18. And I remember when I was 19 years old and I was in despair because in college, uh, life was hard. Uh, I, I, I was, I had professors constantly attacking my faith. I knew God had a call in my life. I'd heard him. I'd, I, he had spoken clearly to me. I knew it. And yet, I had all this pressure pushing in on me. And then, then there, were some, there were some sin patterns I hadn't dealt with in my life. And, and I just started to turn away from the Lord. And I remember when the Lord spoke to me and, and, and grabbed my attention back and said, you, you pray and you read my word every day. <laughs> I heard the Lord speak to my heart. And, 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 and the, it was just the craziest thing. As soon as I began to do that, his life started flooding right back into my heart. And I remember a sense of his presence because I had just been through a dry spell, I remember a sense of his presence that was just immense. I mean, there, I had a, a new spring in my step. Um, it, it, it was transformative in my life. In fact, I would say from that moment till today, I don't know that I've ever been the same. I've, I don't think I've ever gone back there. I experienced him in a new, special way. 
I've seen his glory. And, and by the way, I'm passionate about God's word. I don't know if you've noticed that about me yet. It's like my thing. You know, I, 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 it's what God gave me. It was a passion to open his word up and to teach his word and to call people to his mission. And, and so I believe what, what God's word says. I believe it to a T. I believe that if my, if my views and my traditions contradict with God's word, that I have to yield to his word. I believe that. And so when I see these things, like what God says about where things are headed, when he paints this beautiful picture of a new city, and he says, this is where I'm taking this world. Now, are you coming with me? I believe him. I believe that things are going to be as he said they were going to be. And so why I say we're not all unlike Dorothy and her friends is because he has shown us his glory. And he's told us that he's taking us to the new city. And he's given us a beautiful picture of it. In fact, you know, the Apostle John describes it in some pretty impressive detail. You can go back and read the end of Revelation. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's a place where only the righteous will be and sin and death are going to be gone and, and sickness is going to be gone. And it's going to be an amazing place where we can live as God intended for us to live. By the way, it's not going to be like the Looney Tunes where you're like sitting on a cloud playing a harp. I mean, the heaven's not going to be like that. That's, that's the lamest vision of heaven ever. In fact, it's actually going to be heaven on earth because the Bible says we're going to live here in this world restored and renewed in a new city right? And what started in the garden is going to end in a new city that won't be, a lot, won't be unlike the garden. It's going to be beautiful. Adam and Eve worked in the garden. We're going to work in the new city. God has jobs for us to do, but they're going to be jobs we're going to do in, our, in, in perfection in our glorified bodies with his presence constantly with us. Now, last week we talked about how Jesus called Peter and his friends to fish for people, right? He said, um, now, he gave them an illustration in actual fishing. And the first time Peter and his friends cast out, they worked hard all night. They didn't catch anything. The second time, they'd been, after they'd worked all night, and then Jesus preached a sermon. So not only had they worked all night, they just had to listen to a preacher preach a sermon. And then he sent them out. It was like, all right, now I want you to go back out there and go fishing again. You know? and, and they weren't super thrilled about it. But Peter said, you know, okay, Lord, I'll do it because you said... So they go out, they cast their nets, and this time we're operating under the power of the Holy Spirit, right? With Christ, his power working in them, they pull up so many fish, they can't even hold them in their boat. Super cool, <laughs> right? And then right after that is when Jesus says, hey, don't worry about it, you know, because Peter, Peter's like all, Lord, <laughs> listen, I'm a sinful guy, like Jesus didn't already know that, you know, like, um, but, but he, he's, he's overwhelmed by the presence of Christ, and and Jesus says, hey, don't worry about it, Peter, because from now on, you're going to be fishing for people, right? Now, he gave them this illustration because what he's trying to help them to understand is that they're going to be better with him than without him, and that what he wants to do in them is bigger than what they had envisioned in their own minds, right? They're going to go from just doing mundane work, like average work that, that, that has an impact in the world, but not this eternal impact, to now, he says, I'm going to have you joining me and bringing people to myself, which is an eternally significant work. And, and I will say that, that all of us have had the same call from Jesus, because uh, I've often heard it said that we're all called to ministry and our baptism is our ordination. I love that. But Jesus said to his disciples, 
In John chapter 20, verse 22, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me into this world, so I am sending you into this world. And don't think that he was just talking about the apostles who were standing in front of him at that moment. He was talking about them and everyone that they would then go and imprint that discipleship model onto. Because when he told them to go and make disciples, what he was essentially telling them to do is you go replicate yourself in others. So what does that mean? That means, means the mantle that was passed down from Jesus to the disciples is then now passed down from them to their disciples and then from them to their disciples and on down to us. The mission hasn't changed. The destination hasn't changed. If anything has changed, it's that we've forgotten. And we are like Dorothy and her friends. We saw the Emerald City, but we got the smell of the cursed poppies and we all started falling asleep along the way. And so instead of getting to where he's called us to be, a lot of times we stall out. Now Jesus tells us a parable about that, right? The parable of the, of the, of the soils. I won't go into all the details about that, but you know that there are several types of soils he mentions. One, he says that the soil where the seed is planted along the path and the birds just come and snatch it right up. So, in other words, it never has an opportunity to, to make its way into the ground. The, the second type, and, and by the way, the soils, they're just examples of people's hearts, right? We know that. But the second, you know, there's the rocky soil where it just couldn't get much root. And so, um, it, we, you know, if, if it sprouts up at all, it just quickly gets scorched. So in other words, it's the kind of faith that just can't take any, any pressure at all. Uh, the third type is the, the type that is planted among thorns, and, 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 and it just gets choked out by the thorns. And Jesus, when he interprets the parable to the disciples, he says that those are the cares and the worries of the world. And I think this is who we're focusing on today. Many Christians received God's word, but unfortunately our heart is very thorny, and as the word tried to grow, it's become choked out because we're so concerned about the things of the world that we're missing the things of Christ, right? We can't see the forest for the trees. Love that illustration, <laughs> you know, but, but sometimes it's, it's true. There's a vast forest, but sometimes you can only see what's right in front of you. So when we're distracted, then that's a problem. Um, Ed Stetzer who is a, um, a professor at Wheaton College. He's actually the, currently the Billy Graham Chair of Evangelism, right? So he's, he's over the Billy Graham School of, of Ministry at, uh, at Wheaton College right now. And he was here in Oklahoma last week, and I got to hear him. It was really cool. And, uh, and here's what he said. He said to all the pastors who were at that meeting, he said, if, if we're going to reach Oklahoma for Christ, our churches can't be cul-de-sacs on God's Great Commission Highway. So what, what is that? Like, if God's created for us a highway to run on, to drive on, we know where we're headed, right? It's not the Emerald City. It's the Golden City. It's better, okay? It's the great city that he is, that he is coming. It's the restoration of all things. We know what Christ has said he is going to do. And he said, run. Paul tells us run as if you're going to win that prize, right? What does that mean? Run like you're a citizen of this new kingdom. Huh? Live like it's true, right? Is that... You think that's what Paul was saying when he said, run as if you run like the athlete who wants to win? Run as if you want to receive the prize? We already know what the prize is. In fact, it's already ours in Christ. Now it's up to us to live like it's true. To build upon the foundation of God's grace, which has been implanted into us. We're not earning God's grace, but we are living on God's grace. 
So let's take a look at our text for today, starting in verse 17 of Luke chapter 5. This is a pretty familiar story for a lot of us. The healing of the paralytic. Now, on one of those days while he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting nearby who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. That's an important statement there. I think we may glance over that sometimes, thinking that it's sort of trivial, but um, it's not. Remember that Jesus was modeling for us what it's like to live life by the Spirit, right? That's part of what he came to do, to show us what a godly, Spirit-filled person lives like. And um, God is the one who is sovereign over healing and miracles, not us. I think sometimes we get caught up into this mindset that we're gifted and we can just sort of release it whenever we want to. But no, we have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to know what he's going to do. That, 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 was, that was free. You didn't pay for that part. Okay. Um, so, um, but, uh, but the Spirit, wait, he was, the, or the power of the Lord was, was with him to heal on this particular day. And then some men showed up carrying a paralyzed man on a stretcher. They were trying to bring him in and place him before Jesus. But since they found no way to carry him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and they let him down on a stretcher through the roof tiles right in front of Jesus. How many of you guys want some friends like that in your life? You know, like, like you're paralyzed and they're willing to carry you up on the roof. Like, I'm telling you, somebody who doesn't exercise probably isn't skinny either. You know what I mean? Like, like they're pulling their buddy up onto the roof, pulling some tiles back on the roof and letting him down. I'm just saying, I need some friends like that. Um, that's good stuff. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the experts in the law and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who is uttering blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their hostile thoughts, he said to them, why are you raising objections within yourselves? Which is easier to say to your, that your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, stand up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he stood up and began uh, before them and picked up the stretcher that he was laying on and went home glorifying God. Then astonishment seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, We have seen incredible things today. This is the word of the Lord. Can we give him thanks for it? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father, we, uh, Lord, we just we, we know how limited we are um, as people, and because we are humans, and even though you have redeemed us, many of us in this room, we've experienced the regenerating power of the Spirit. You have made us new. You've made us a new creation, just like Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter five. But Father, we still really wrestle with the flesh. We're really struggling here. And, and we thank you that you know that of us and you love us. And, and God, you give us the power we need when we need it to overcome. Um, today, Lord, we, we really need you to overcome the human nature in our hearts so that we can understand your word and what you want to say to us. So, Father, we pray that you would restrict the devil in this place. We pray that you would rest restrict our human nature that would keep us from hearing you. And, Father, allow us to clearly hear the Holy Spirit speaking into our hearts what you want to say to us through this word. Um, we thank you for it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things I want to point out. 
Really, there, there, there are three observations that, that I, I feel like the Lord spoke out of this to me personally, and so I'm delivering those to you. Um, the first thing I observed is that miracles are designed by God to orbit gospel work. And I'll explain that in just a minute, because you may be saying, well, wait a minute, what, how does that, where's the, where's the gospel work here? I'm going to tell you where the gospel work is in just a second. The second thing is that miracles are designed to validate gospel truth. And the third thing is that miracles are designed to display the glory of God through Jesus. Okay? So let's, let's look at this because this is going to be important. Because how many of you want God to show up in power today? Anybody? Right? Can, can, let's let God, how many of us want God, Lord, we want you to show up in power. Can we show God we want him to show up in power through this church in this time and in this place? I think this is a really important message for us today because it ties us in with last week's message. We know what we're called to do. We know we're called to fish for people. We know we're called to do it in the power of Jesus, not in our own strength. But we need to keep building on this idea. So then what does it look like to operate in the strength of Christ rather than in our own strength? It's an important question. And the dream that we are exploring today is God's dream that his gospel would be validated through his power on display in us. He wants us to proclaim it, and then he wants to validate it. Okay? All right, so let's look at that first part. Miracles are designed to orbit gospel work. Um, there's two people that are really highlighted here. One, you get the, I mean, really three. I mean, obviously Jesus is highlighted. But, uh, but you get highlighted the Pharisees and also the friends of the paralyzed man. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about the Pharisees, and I'm fascinated by the Pharisees because they were theological giants. They had sound doctrine, okay? These people had studied the Word of God, and they were the ones who were generally right. In fact, um, if we transplanted ourselves as, as modern evangelical Christians back to that day, they would be the party we would be most identified with. They believed in the resurrection, they believed in the power of God, they believed in prophetic words. They, they, they believed similarly, similarly to how we believe. And yet there was absolutely no power in them at all. None. Now why is that? It's because they were about building their own kingdom and not God's. They lost sight of the goal. They, they had begun to think that, the, that God's purpose in this world was just about building and sustaining Israel. And he, they didn't see his goal for the nation's. They didn't see that his goal was actually the restoration of all things. They couldn't get past the idea of just the restoration of their own nation to understand that God was actually restoring everything through the nation in Christ. And so because they lost sight of God's vision, they weren't experiencing his power. Because why is God going to bless a group of people that aren't about what he's about? Right? Like, why, why, why would God send miracles and prophetic words and great power to people who just aren't even about what he's about? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, the friends of the paralytic, on the other hand, they were, they were motivated not by their own desires so much as they were about their friend's well-being. They loved their friend. And they loved God, and they knew that Jesus could do something for him. And so they said, listen, no matter what, no matter what this costs us today, 
Like, they could have been in trouble with the law, right? Like, a lot of bad things could have happened that day. You don't just, like, go tearing someone's roof off, you know? Um, That usually doesn't go very well. But these guys had faith in God. They knew what Jesus could do, and they loved their friend, and they said, come hell or high water, we're going to get our friend to Jesus today because he's the only one who can heal him. And here's what I want to say to you. That is gospel work. That is gospel work. Gospel work is when we say, listen, I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what people think about me. I am going to pour my life out to join Jesus on his work of getting as many people from hell to heaven as I possibly can. That is gospel work. Gospel work is selling out our own lives so that other people can experience the peace of God that we have experienced. Gospel work is putting aside our reputation. Gospel work is putting aside our comfort and and our, our own desires and goals so that other people might see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Gospel work is leveraging whatever we have on this side of heaven for the sake of the kingdom of God so that others can be there. That's gospel work. And these men, if anybody in in all of Scripture showed us what it looks like to do gospel work, it's these men right here. Because their friend couldn't do anything for himself, and neither can your friends who are dead in their sins and trespasses do anything for themselves. But you carry with you the Holy Spirit and the power and the Word of God. So by God's grace, you can do something for them. You can give them Jesus. These men saw the power of God on display that day because they were committed to doing gospel work to bring their friend to Jesus. And I'm going to stop for a minute because I want to ask you, who do you know today who needs to be brought to Jesus? Because I'm going to tell you, they're not going to come on their own power. Um, we live in a world today where just because you have a cool church building and some programs or whatever doesn't mean people are going to come to church anymore. There was a time when you could put up a, a, a banner and have like this legit awesome children's program and, and the, the people just would flock, right? Or you built the coolest looking church building on your side of town and people were like, man, check out the neon on that building, you know, or whatever it is that drew people in. The, the, the parlor tricks used to work, but they don't work anymore. Because we live in a world today where people no longer presume a Christian worldview. They don't believe like we believe. And there was a time when most Americans basically thought like a Christian, even if they hadn't received the gospel. That day is not today. So people are further from God than they've ever been around us. And that means it's going to take a miracle as much as it ever did. It's just now that the miracle is more obvious because people are further away. Right? Now listen... When somebody has a hurt ankle and they get healed, it doesn't seem as big of a deal as seeing a cancer healed, right? But they both take the same miracle power. We've got to see that somebody who's a little bit away from God and someone who's far away from God, they both take the same miracle power. We as Christians are called by Jesus to join him in the work of bringing people to Christ so they can be healed. And I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, and maybe physically too. He's doing all those things still in our world. But I just find it interesting that it isn't the religious expert who got the religious experts 
who God works through to display His power. It's common people who are committed to gospel work. And what does that say for you and me? I love the way the Apostle Paul addresses the Corinthian church. He says, hey, listen, you guys are a bunch of schlubs. <laughs> like, that's pretty much what he says. Not very many of you were impressive by worldly standards, right? That's what he tells them. He's like, hey, you guys are a bunch of rejects, and um, you, you're, you're out on the margins, and, and Jesus saved you. And he's like, why Jesus save you? Because he wants to show his glory, you know, that he would be able to take some really dirty, messed up bunch like you guys and make them into something, you know? That's us. We're not a bunch of impressive people. We're a bunch of broken people being restored, but, and we are being restored. And praise God we're not who we once were. And praise God that we're not a finished product yet. You know, like I'm glad that God has more work he wants to do to me. God doesn't typically use the most impressive people. He likes to use really normal people. Because when he uses really normal people to do a great work, everybody knows only God could have done it. So I want you to look at yourself. Think about yourself and, and realize you're a lot more important to the kingdom of God than you probably realize. Because God wants to display his glory in and through you. He gets the most glory when he uses normal people. Now, I don't know about you guys, I'm a normal, I know I'm just a normal dude. I know I am. I'm nothing special. I'm not some, you know, like even as a preacher, like I don't have a TV show. I don't have a big platform. I'm not looking for any of that. But what I do know is that God uses normal people. And that's true for everyone in this room. In Acts chapter 4 verses, or Acts chapter 8 verses 4 to 8, we see Philip. Philip went evangelizing amongst the Samaritans. And, and people start receiving Christ. And the Bible says that they believed because he was proclaiming the word and it was backed up by power, right? There were, were healings. There were miracles which were being done. Now, again, gospel work was being done. And so the miracles tend to orbit gospel work. Most movements who once saw a great infusion of miracles and divine power were about gospel work when they started. And that's why God blessed them. And many people were coming to know Jesus. And then it starts to slip. Now, why does it start to slip? Because people start thinking it's about the miracles. Or they start thinking it's about, you know, it's about, you know, they, they, they form a denomination. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm already a part of one of those. I don't need another one, you know? I mean, like, they, they start to form, they start to make a movement into a, well, a brick wall. Once you make it into a brick wall, it doesn't move anymore. We can't institutionalize the movement of God and expect him to keep moving. And when it becomes about sustaining our own stuff or building our own earthly kingdoms, what, we shouldn't be surprised when he removes his glory. So if miracles orbit gospel work, we see in Philip that miracles are designed to validate gospel truth. As Philip went into, into the, uh, the Samaritan regions preaching the gospel, God validated that gospel with miracles because those Samaritan people needed to see that what he was proclaiming, what Philip was proclaiming, was the actual truth, the actual word of God. You see, most preaching doesn't get that kind of power. 
I mean, those guys heard preachers. They heard rabbis all the time. That's why they were so impressed when Jesus came, because they were like, whoa, a new teaching with power. And then his followers start preaching with power as well. Notice it's teaching with power. The preaching and teaching with the power. Not just the power and not just the teaching. The two of them come together, and God is validating his gospel and therefore glorifying his son Jesus through the power. But God is always designed for his power to be coupled with his gospel. Now notice what Jesus says in, uh, right there in, in, to the paralytic when he comes in. What did Jesus say to him? He didn't, he didn't just heal him instantly. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. That's a gospel proclamation, isn't it? Your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus is the only one who had the power in himself to proclaim that that is true. Now, of course, in Christ, we too have the power to pronounce forgiveness, but that's another theological topic. But, but, but listen, Jesus had the power because Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew he was on the way to the cross. So he knew he had the power in himself to look at this man and say, hey, in me, you're forgiven. He proclaimed a gospel message, and, and they doubted him. So here's all these, like, these, these men with good theology, right? These Pharisees, good theology, but their hearts were locked. And they couldn't believe the gospel truth that Jesus spoke over this man when he said, your sins are forgiven. That's what the gospel's about, isn't it? The gospel's about us being cleaned and made new in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. We come proclaiming to people newness of life in Christ. Repent and believe the gospel so that times of refreshing may come, is what Peter said in his sermon in Acts chapter three, 2 and 3. Repent and believe the good news about Jesus. It means turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus and receive forgiveness because of the bloody cross and the empty tomb. It's a simple message, isn't it? When Jesus spoke, your sins are forgiven, he was pronouncing gospel truth over this man, and the religious crowd doubted it. And But then Jesus, Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, why do you doubt? <laughs> right? This is a constant question. You, you know, but he says, hey, so that you may believe that the Son of Man has this power within himself to forgive sins. Then he looks at the paralytic and he says, get up. Rise, pick up your mat, and go home. Man, I'm telling you what, that had to be the greatest sermon ever, right? I mean, most of the greatest sermons ever are accompanied with that kind of transforming power. Because the same God who has the power to cleanse our hearts proves that he has power over this world by also calling the effects of sin to nothing. Now, that's important because the effects of sin are not only our rebellion— but also sickness and disease and brokenness. Every broken thing in this world which is not whole in Christ is in existence because of the effects of sin in this world. And God stands opposed to sin. Now listen, I'm not here to say that God is going to heal everything. We know that's not true because we know that until Jesus comes, the reality is we're all going to die at some point. So God is not going to heal everything, but he, but he will one day. 
But I will tell you this, that there are times and seasons in which, in which God chooses to demonstrate the power of the gospel by destroying the effects of sin instantly so we don't have to wait to see it in the new city. We actually get to see a glimpse of it now. And he does it as a way of validating the gospel truth of Christ. So what that tells me is that if we, want a church, if we want to be a church where the miracle work is happening, we better be a church that is about the work of the gospel and about proclaiming the truth of the gospel because God loves to validate the gospel truth through displaying his power. And then the third thing that we observe here in the last couple of verses is that miracles are designed to display the glory of God. We see as soon as this man received his healing. He was forgiven, which by the way, the forgiveness coming first tells us that actually restoring the person is more important to Jesus than restoring the, the person's body. The restoration of the body actually follows the restoration of the heart. It's kind of important. <laughs> um, and although he hasn't come back to restore everything yet, you know, he's He's giving us glimpses. So if miracles are designed to display the glory of God through Christ, everybody went away that day knowing that God had moved. Everyone went away that day knowing they'd seen something incredible. And not only was the paralytic killed, but his heart was renewed. And everybody saw God's glory that day. Now that man went away glorifying God because He'd experienced so much more than his body being restored. He'd experienced a new heart. And many of us know what that feels like. Do you remember what it was like when Jesus grabbed a hold of your heart for the first time? I remember having grown up in church my whole life, having even made a made a statement of my faith when I was a young man. When I was about 12 years old, I think I was in sixth grade, and I was at school, and I was just like any of the other kids. I was trying to fit in. And I started using foul language because it was what the other kids were doing, and I started wearing the, <laughs> this was the 90s, <clears throat> baggy jeans. Jinkos. <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, they were great. I... I I remember my favorite outfit were these Jinko jeans and a Marvin the Martian hoodie. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. Um, when I look back on those days, I'm thankful to the Lord that not many pictures were taken. So uh, um, praise God that we didn't get cell phones until I was in high school, really. You know? so, um, but, uh, but I remember trying to fit in. And that's what my life was about, trying to fit in. And then I remember sitting in a meeting and and Matt Chandler, who is a kind of a famous pastor now, he was preaching the gospel. And for the first time, I remember the gospel got into me. Not just in my head, but in my heart. And I remember God flipped a switch, and I was not the same person anymore. And I, I went back to school the next day, and I remember saying to my friends, hey, I can't talk like that with you guys anymore. And they were like, why? I was like, I don't know. Jesus became real to me last night. And I remember sharing that my heart was different. I still struggled with sin. I still had stuff I was working through. And I, you know, and I believe that, that, that uh, I had a second experience with the Lord when I was in college that I could tell you about some other time that really did a work of, 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 of 
holiness in me that was even escalated even further and released some gifts in me. But, but listen, that's called being filled with the Holy Spirit, and we believe that's a process that keeps happening throughout our lives. We can talk more about that later, or, or if you want to read a real good book about it, I got one right here. But, um, but, but listen, the Word tells us that, that, that it's God displays the glory of Jesus through His power. I experienced the glory of Jesus when I felt Him Flip that switch in my heart, and I was a new person. Listen, Christians, we need to remember those. We, we need to remember that more often than we do. I think a lot of us just get caught up in the everyday of, of walking through life, and we forget the newness of life that we received in Christ. But we've got to go back and remember what he did to us. And then we have to realize that there are thousands of people around us in this city who have not yet experienced that kind of life with Christ. And he has called us to, like the rich young ruler's friends, to grab a hold of those friends and do everything we can to bring them to Jesus because they're not coming on their own. That may mean that we, instead of inviting the church, we invite them to our house for a dinner or we go over to their house and we, and, and we whatever it is, we've got to begin to build bridges for the gospel into people's lives. And we have to be about the gospel work if we want to see the power of, the God, uh, power of God that comes to to validate that gospel. So I truly believe if we want to see more miracle-working power in and through our church, we have to align ourselves with God's vision and His mission. And I really do think He's given us some pretty strong ideas about what that looks like, like gospel saturation. When we say that we want to see the Oklahoma City Metro saturated with the good news and the good works of Jesus, that's a big dream. That means it's so full that it's like a sponge that's full, so full that, that it's just pouring out of it. You ever just set a sponge in your sink and turn the water on? And the, at some point it's just like bouncing off the sponge because it can't hold anymore. That's what we're talking about, gospel saturation. But in order for that to happen, we believers, under the power of the Holy Spirit, have to be ready to lay our lives down to bring other people into that power as well. So, um, I don't know what God's saying to you in all this. But I know that God is calling us to be really serious about gospel work. I know that's his calling for us. To be really serious about his calling to go and tell the world about Christ and to make disciples. It's gospel work. And it will take sacrifice, and it will be difficult, and we'll have to repent of making it about us instead of making it about him. And we have to be serious about doing his work in this world. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you, or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.